Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. All right, America. It's good to be with you. It is Friday. Get ready for the weekend. I am. This has been a long week. I'm, I am completely uh, washed out. I can't wait to get to the weekend and get a little sunshine, get a little family time, uh, get a little sleep maybe. It'd be great. But I know you're in the same thing. We're all been working hard. Uh, and, uh, and now we're at the end of another week. So I thought it would be fun to bring in someone who is both extraordinarily funny, but also more importantly, extraordinarily thoughtful. Evan it, a great Hollywood actor, comedian, humorist, but also a very deep thinker in the conservative movement, somebody who has uh, really been warning about the rise of a new left that wasn't involved just in a debate about ideas, that they think their ideas are better, but in the effort of trying to suffocate and restrain uh, conservative thought or any thought that doesn't agree with them. And a few years ago, people thought, well, boy, what's Evan talking about? I'm not seeing signs of this. And now we see it everywhere, right? You can't be on Twitter. You're, so, you're canceled. The president of the United States can't be on Twitter. The New York Post couldn't report an accurate story of what was on Hunter Biden's laptop. And I can go on and on. You know it. And, and now even true liberals, uh, not that the new left, but true liberals, people like Bill Maher and Alan Dershowitz, they're even decrying what's going on on their side of the political fence because it has become so extreme. And so it was a few years ago, I think it was, when Evan gave a speech at the Heritage Foundation. And uh, it really was how modern liberals think. And it was a warning sign. It was a bellwether. And you know, at the time, people were like, oh, no, that seems a little over the top. Uh, that's not going to happen. It can't get that bad. Well, most of what he said and more have since occurred in that, in that very thoughtful uh, speech he gave. And it's now one of the most watched, uh, it is, I believe, the most watched speech uh, on the Heritage uh, Foundation's uh, site. It's a really strong, remarkable uh, speech. And when you look at it now, almost everything Evan predicted has come true. And so today he's got a new book out that describes the new left's tactics and compares it to the great supremacist moments, movements of our, our history, uh, compares current extreme liberalism, the cancel culture, the uh, weaponization of law enforcement against people who are innocent but accused and made to look not innocent, made to look guilty, uh, to a supremacy movement. It is a thought-provoking book. Uh, it's not something that's... Uh, uh, gonna come up at a quaint dinner party, but it is challenging you and the liberals to look at their behavior 
in the tactics of people who are supremacists, who want supremacy, who want to dominate, own uh, the, the narrative, the country, and do not want to allow anyone who disagrees with them any space to breathe, operate, talk. Uh, the threat of free speech is, as he says in the book, one of the first weapons to silence uh, uh, when it comes to uh, fighting a supremacist movement. And so we're going to have him here today for the whole uh, show. He's a very thoughtful person, a very uh, well-studied person. And yeah, he does a lot of humorous things. He makes me laugh every time we're together. But uh, on this uh, topic, on the state of American cancel culture and the state of American cancellation, uh, he is dead serious. And uh, I think you'll appreciate his thoughts, his ideas. Um, he turns the hate speech, um, supremacism, and all of the other claims that are often thrown at, at uh, conservatives. And he turns it around and shows how liberals are engaging in the very tactics and the very concepts that uh, they once disowned, disavowed. Uh, really a remarkable book uh, and uh, from a, a really thoughtful person, someone who has spent a lot of time thinking about this country, its history, uh, what makes America great. And his call to action is a pretty simple call to action. Don't stay silent anymore. Speak up. Your voice matters. And if you have tens of millions, hundreds of millions, you can't be canceled because you can find ways to project that voice in, in unison with other people who are tired of this. And listen, there are many true classical liberals who are as deeply disturbed about what's going on in the country as conservatives who've been the abject of some of these attacks. Uh, it is a dangerous moment in American history. I think Sean Hannity and I have talked about this at various times. These are dangerous times. What makes America great is at risk because somebody wants to stamp out any thought, many people, large numbers of people, people who own uh, platforms that we've all come to trust, Twitter, Facebook, et cetera. They want to stamp out any thought that doesn't agree with them. That is not the American experience. That is not the American way. That is not an American value. And I think Evan Sayet will... Uh, come on here and really enlighten you. And so we're going to spend the whole uh, show with him. Uh, no news headlines. You know where to go for news headlines, justthenews.com. You know where to go for our scoops and exclusive, justthenews.com. We'll be back Monday with some more scoopy reporting. But today, some deep thoughts, some serious thoughts from a very funny man, a very talented man, Evan Sayet, right after this commercial break. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer, a beach bum summer, or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, somebody who will make you think and make you laugh, who's had a profound impact on the discussion of politics and policy and culture in America. One of my favorites and one of the funniest people and smartest people I know in Hollywood. Evan Sayet joins us today. Evan, welcome to the show. 
Thanks, John, but I'm sorry you added in Hollywood because that just, if I was one of the smartest people, you know, but in Hollywood. Uh, it puts well, a so cap what? is what you're saying, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're great. I love it. Well, I left out a title because it's so exciting. Author, you've got a new book out and it is a provocative book and it made me think and I, I, uh, I was really struck by its, um, its message and the way you're looking at this cancel culture. The book is called the Woke Supremacy, an Anti-Socialist Manifesto, and you take on all of this accelerating cancel culture, all of this hatred, all this vitriol, all of this effort to suffocate free speech, and you put it into this remarkable uh, argument about how silly and anti-American this is. Tell us, what, what's the reaction to the book, and what inspired you to do it? Well, the, the reaction has actually been quite phenomenal. And and the one that I like the best uh, is one of the three most important books of its time in American history. The other two being uh, Thomas Paine's Common Sense Before the Revolutionary War right. and Harry Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin Before the Civil War, because this book was written intentionally to, to sort of serve that purpose. Uh, to to steal our side and to make clear what the moral issue is prior to what we call the culture war, but I suspect is going to become even uh, perhaps bloodier than that. Wow, no, that's a that is a remarkable thing to even contemplate. Um, what has the left's reaction been to this? Have they called this hate speech? Yes. Have they tried to block your book from sale? Any any uh, uh, blockades and boycotts started yet? Well, well, thus far, you know, I have a remarkable skill, uh, which doesn't work out well for my bank account, but I have a remarkable skill at staying beneath the radar. Um, so, <laughs> how do you do that? That's good. I want to learn how to do that. You know, you just you you just do the the a handful of programs that you think are essential, like yours, uh, and then you go out and and you count on word of mouth. Because when they own the media, but we own the truth, you know, they can hit a million people at once with their story. We have to be a million people telling our story one at a time. Yeah, that's such an important, uh, such an important point. I, um, when I was getting prepared for this and reading up on it, and I, I, I was drawn to an extraordinary moment in my Craig. It's go back, uh, they have to go back a well, while. It's back in 2008, and Barack Obama was about to become uh, the president, it was the night before his inauguration. And I had a little deal with the o Obama White House, which is he was going to write a front page op-ed in the Washington Times, the most conservative newspaper in uh, America at the time, and certainly in Washington. Uh, in, uh, but he wanted me to do something. And the offer was I had to go over to a restaurant, a famous restaurant in Washington, D.C., in the African-American community, and meet somebody. I didn't know who I was going to meet. Uh, so I got the op-ed. It came in. We queued it up. It actually turned out to be one of the largest uh, sold newspapers in Washington Times history. And it was a call that, you know, it didn't turn out to fulfill itself. But, you know, I, he said he wanted to work with conservatives and Republicans, and he wanted to be everyone's president. That didn't turn out that way. But it was a nice gesture in the, in the op-ed. But more importantly, he sent me over to this restaurant. And when I got there, there was seven or eight freedom writers from the famous civil rights movement who were still living. I think one of them was in their 90s or 80s. It was really a remarkable night to sit through and learn from them firsthand what sort of hatred and vitriol and language and punishment and violence that they endured as they tried to fight for um, uh, civil liberty and, and fairness in America. And their stories were things like, they would have words like, you're not welcome here at a restaurant or on a bus. Yeah, or 
they got in our faces and they were, they were uh, screaming at us and kicking us and beating us. And I, I remember that night, and I've said it's one of my favorite nights in my own life to just have met people who are part of a history that you normally just see in clips. But now I realize from your book, those exact words are being used by people like Maxine Water and Barack Obama. I think you had to get in their faces, let them know we're, they're not welcome here. These are real language that the left is now using to sanction conservatives. What made you draw the comparison between you know, the past white supremacy and, and uh, uh, racism in America and what you're experiencing today? Well, first of all, what, what I recognized almost immediately was that race has always been critical to the theory behind Democratic Party policies. Right now we talk about, we call it critical race theory, but race has always been critical behind the theory uh, of Democratic Party policies. For example, race was critical to the theory behind the Democratic Party policy of slavery. Race was critical to the theory behind the Democratic Party policy of Indian internment. Race was critical to the theory behind the Democratic Party policy of Japanese internment. The claim that the, uh, that the woke use, that they were responsible for the civil rights advances of the 60s and 70s, is exactly not true. They oppose, the founders of the woke supremacy, the radicals in the 60s, opposed equal rights. They didn't want equal rights because equal rights, A, would have unified the nation, and they declared that they sought a revolution. Well, you, when, when you want revolution, you seek to divide and conquer which is why when the radicals came along in the 60s and they could have joined with and affiliated with and given their resources and, and, and their time and money to the party of abolition, they could have given it to, to the party of women's suffrage and the then recent 1957 Civil Rights Act, they didn't join with the Republican Party. They joined with the party of George Wallace, segregation, slavery, and Jim Crow. Why? Because it didn't matter to them whether they were white supremacists and, and George Wallace made whites hate blacks or they were Malcolm X supremacists and, and, and they made blacks hate whites just so long as Americans hated each other. So the, the co-opting of the civil rights movement and the notion of the party's flip-flop is, is just absolutely the opposite of the truth. It is a remarkable. Uh, it is a remarkable moment to think through the parallels, uh, thirty, forty, fifty years apart now, of what's going on. You, you talk a little bit, and it's funny because I graduated from high school in nineteen eighty four, and of course we had to read Orwell's nineteen eighty four. Uh, but the the comparisons that you draw uh, to Orwell's nineteen eighty four and what's going on in the social media space at Facebook, Google, Twitter. Uh, other places, uh, we've really reached that period where the communication infrastructure is now in danger of being in permanent one-party control. Uh, what what has that meant for conservatism over the last, let's say, just the last 24 months, where the escalation of censorship has uh, been, you know, historic in its reach? You know, one one of the reasons that it is so hard to accept the fact that the woke is a supremacist movement is because we tend to associate the supremacist movements of the past, like Nazi Germany or, or Stalinist or Leninist or Maoist, uh, well, Russia and China, uh, with, with their atrocities. But what was so important about what Orwell wrote was that he recognized that the things necessary for a cancel culture in the past were those atrocities because they were the technologically primitive tools available to cancel cultures in the past. 
Orwell's genius was found in his recognition that technology would become the new gulags, would become the new gas chambers, a far less ghastly, a far less bloody means of silencing all others. But nowadays, you don't need to release the hounds to, to, to keep the other in place. You can hound them on the Internet. These days, you don't need to, to destroy the businesses of the other like they did on Kristallnacht. You can simply write a line of code and demonetize them. You don't need to put the other into ghettos any longer because with this censorship that you're talking about, they can now electronically ghettoize us. You know, the purpose of putting the Jews into ghettos was to remove their voice from the community so that they could not disprove the hateful narratives of the supremacy with their humanity. Well, the left is able to accomplish this without putting us into physical ghettos now. They can remove our voice so that we cannot disprove the hateful narratives about us with, with, with our presence online. It, it is remarkable, that, that communications infrastructure and the, the stranglehold. I mean, who would think when the Mexican president and the German chancellor are decrying American censorship, while Americans, or at least some Democrats, weren't decrying it, uh, you know that America's in a world of hurt right now, and yet we've seen that actually happen the last couple of months, where other world leaders were saying, this is ridiculous what's going on. Even the free leader of the world can't have a Twitter account right now at the end of the, the Trump administration. Well, much, much, much more important than the, the leaders of, of the free world and, and the leaders of Germany and Mexico, Bill Maher. Yes. Bill Maher is decrying it. And, and that's really where some of the hope uh, resides, in, in that revolutions eat their own. And as they gain more and more power, they also then need to, to reject those who have any sort of liberal lowercase l values. They need to constantly eliminate the unpure or the less pure. So you look at what happened to the uh, editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue magazine. I mean, this is a person yep. who was so wonderfully, perfectly woke that she rapidly rose to one of the highest positions. And then they discovered a tweet that she had put out when she was a child that was insensitive. And they quite literally did what they do to us, which is they disempowered her and they silenced her voice. So, so the hope, best hope is that they continue to eat their own and those who are true liberals, lowercase l liberals, come to recognize there, 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 there is no real white supremacy in America. I mean, even if it exists, it's not empowered in any way. There's no radio talk show host. There's no, uh, there, there's nobody in Congress. There's no, but there's a very real woke supremacy from the left. Yeah, it is remarkable, and it hasn't met its match yet in, in on the other side. And so one of the interesting opportunities in your book is sort of the tactics, the solutions, because I know you believe in solutions. I, I think your, uh, your lecture on modern liberals um, at Heritage is probably one of the most uh, listened to and watched uh, lectures there. When you, what are the solutions that conservatives have? They're still pretty hunkered down. I mean, there's some people out there fighting, but what uh, when in this world that you've now defined pretty articulately, what is the solution for a conservative or a centrist who is afraid their voice will be silenced for an entire generation? Right. The, the, the first thing we have to do is stop thinking. Thomas Ole, who in the conflict of visions makes the point, the, the left seeks uh, to, to, to fix things, you know, to end poverty. We seek to ameliorate the situation. 
We're not going to suddenly get a television network and everything's going to be great. We're not suddenly going to say something and, and their eyes will pop open and, and an exclamation point will appear over their heads. You know, they get it. Um, this is this is a long fight, and it's been 50 years that, that we've allowed it to metastasize, and it's going to take time for us to inch and fight our way back. That being said, the very first thing we need to do, the very first thing is recognize that we are up against a supremacy, that these are not just people who happen to be wrong, that we can compromise with, that we can convince. These are people who have been fully steeped in, wholly surrounded by, and deprived the ability to hear any other point of view. And 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 thus, we need to perhaps do things that... that good people normally wouldn't think of doing. You know, evil always has an advantage over good because good is constrained by its goodness. Evil is constrained by nothing. And Saul Linsky certainly knew this, which is why he made one of the rules for radicals, make the other side live up to their book of rules. Because if we live up to the Constitution and they don't, they have that advantage. You know, if we live up to our Bible and they don't, they have that advantage. So we have to eliminate the idea that we can be collegial. We've been collegial for far too long that, that, that we need to be statesmanlike. You know, I wrote an article for Town Hall, which, and, and by the way, my lecture to the Heritage Foundation is by far and away the single most viewed lecture in their entire I history. remember that. Yeah. yeah <laughs> okay. No. Not just one of, not just, no, it is the single most viewed it. lecture in their entire history. Yeah. So I wrote this article for Town Hall which is the single most read article in town hall's history called He Fights, where, where I spoke on behalf of Trump. And, and I recognized that, yes, of course, in, in normal times, I would love for a more statesmanlike president. Of course, I would love a more collegial president. But these aren't normal times. And I took the title from uh, what Abraham Lincoln said about Ulysses S. Grant, who was supposedly a drunk. And they said, why did you fire this guy? And he said, I cannot spare this man. He fights. We, we do not need collegial. We do not need uh, people who go along to get along. We need to recognize what's at stake. We are up against a supremacy. You know, the definition of a supremacist movement is that they believe all rights, privileges, and protections belong only to those who possess a certain trait. So in Nazism, that trait was Arianism. Right. If you, if you possess that trait, you were entitled to all the rights, privileges, and protections of, of, of Nazi society. If you didn't, not only were you not entitled to these things, but it was a moral imperative that they use their resources to disempower and silence all others. Now, we tend to think of supremacist movements in terms of race, but most supremacist movements are not race-based. So there are two others on the planet right now, the Marxist supremacist movement. That's not based on race. That's based on class. If you possess the supreme trait of proletarianism, you're entitled to all the rights, privileges, and protections of Marxist society. The other is Islamicism, the Islamic uh, supremacist movement. In the Islamist supremacist movement, like ISIS and Hamas, Hezbollah and Al-Qaeda, the Ayatollahs in Iran, if you possess the supreme trait of extreme devotion before 6th century Muhammad, it's not race, it's not class, it's creed. You're entitled to all the rights, privileges, and protections of society. Well, in the woke supremacy, only the woke are entitled to free speech. Only the woke are entitled to freedom of assembly. Only the woke are entitled to due process. 
only the woke are entitled to have a job. So, of course, it's a supremacist movement. The big difference being that they're more technologically advanced than the supremacist movements that came before them. It, it is remarkable the role that technology has played. I couldn't imagine when I started my reporting career that a story like the Hunter Biden laptop could just be suppressed uh, in the two to three weeks before an election, and yet it was. You couldn't believe that nursing home deaths in New York for months could be suppressed until it was, because both the mainstream media didn't challenge. In fact, they were giving Emmys uh, to Andrew Cuomo when he was hiding a, a, a travesty. Uh, is it time, and do you think, uh, from Hollywood to uh, Silicon Valley to mainstream news media, is it time that the right uh, and conservatives build their own infrastructures that are uh, not necessarily equal and opposite, but at least competitive and can't be freed? And are you heartened by things like Parler or Clout Hub uh, or Rumble that are beginning to pick up millions of customers because they don't censor? Do you see a moment where an alternate communications infrastructure has to be built in order to get on some equal grounding? We tend to, we, it, it's long overdue, and we, our side, we tend to think in very practical terms. That's who we are. That's why we're conservatives. You know, they're, they're the dreamers and we're the doers. Right. And unfortunately, the entertainment industry, far more important than putting on another news channel, entertainment that, that, that promotes our values. But as a business model, entertainment is not very attractive to a, a bottom line sort of person. Right. So what is the solution then? Well, first of all, the solution is to have people who, are, who recognize where we are and, and to think of it less as a, a bottom line investment and, and more as an investment in America's future, because without a countervailing voice, uh, uh, force, a countervailing voice, it's only going to get worse. The, the thing about supremacist movements is they don't stop until they are stopped. So the idea that we might be able to, to wait this out, the idea that we might be able to appease them, the idea that we might be able to, to make some kind of deal with them, is it, it, just something we've got to get out of our head. But the other thing, John, is the opposite of technology, which is our individual voices. We can no longer allow them to cow us. We can no longer be afraid for our jobs. We should now be afraid for our lives. We should no longer be afraid that we're going to lose friends. We should be afraid that we're going to lose our freedoms. And we need to speak out. You know, again, the reason Hitler put the Jews in ghettos was so that their voice could not counter their narrative. Well, when we don't speak up, we are, we are doing their job for them because we're ghettoizing ourselves. Wow. That's a powerful statement. And, uh, it falls on everyone who supports free speech to, to speak out against what's going on. Now, many of the, the things we're talking about have been in the digital political space, but today there is one atrocity that is as old-fashioned and as hideous as it has always been in the world, and that is what's going on with the Uyghurs in China and the fact that and we have forced sterilization and, and uh, syst systemic rape going on, according, and this is according to the UN and the US and others, uh, yet the left has been so, uh, unlike prior atrocities like Rwanda and other things, they've been so quiet about uh, the Chinese uh, uh, genocide going on uh, with Muslim Uyghurs and others. 
when you look at this, the fact that liberals normally say they care about people, and yet there's been a pretty uh, rigid silence about a true atrocity in the world. What do you attribute that? Is it the flow of money that China provides the left and Hollywood and elsewhere that has kept this tamped down? In, in every supremacist movement, there has been this middle time, there's this act two, the second act, that is very different than the utopia they promise and that they envision. For example, during World War II, Hitler envisioned the perfect world which would have no uh, Semites in it. Yet, he allied with the Mufti in Jerusalem, the, the Islamicist, in, in the, uh, the, the Leninists and the Stalinists, they dreamt of a world, the perfect world would have no religion. And yet they sided with the Islamicists, who are the most religious, uh, religiously fanatical people on the entire planet. Even today, the, 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 the Democrats, the woke, who claim they want a perfect world where there's no uh, misogyny, where there's no homophobia, they side with the Islamicists in the Middle East uh, because even, even though they throw people, uh, gay people off of buildings and, and, and they oppress women, because nothing matters to the supremacy until the others have all been silenced. So the enemy of, of, of all these supremacist movements have, has always been America. Right? Whether it was the white supremacists of the secessionist South, whether it was the, uh, the, the, the Marxist supremacists uh, of the Cold War, whether it's the Islamicist supremacists, the German and, and Japanese supremacists in World War II, their enemy is always America, and they will ally with whomever they need to ally with at any given moment in order to first defeat America. Because the one thing every one of these supremacist movements knew was before they could create the perfect world of their various imagination, they first had to destroy the world as it is. It, uh, it is so important to remember that, that, uh, that silencing is the, the number one tool of a supremacy movement stopping that voice. And it's true. History has shown it time and time again. Um, you're in California. Lots of fun things are going on right now. The liberals are recalling their own governor, as are many centrists and Republicans. Uh, the Gavin Newsom recall, what drove that? Uh, how did California reject a liberal approach to fighting COVID? And what do you think, where do you think it ends? I mean, are we going to have a governor general? What are, what are we going to have out in California? Well, let, let, let's, let's first things first, and, and that's let's get rid of uh, Newsom. And, and what's, what's pushed it is, as I said earlier in this conversation, revolutions eat their own. And at a certain point, there's nothing <laughs> right. left to be, there's nothing left to be eaten. There's, there's one thing about all of these socialist movements, whether, whether it was China, whether it was Russia, uh, or, or, or whether it's San Francisco or the state of California, it's comprised of only two kinds of people, the very rich master planners and the very poor who cannot escape, who, who need to rely on the master planners for their meager allotments. And everybody else flees. This, by the way, was true of, of the socialist thing called slavery. Right. You know, sla slavery was the ultimate form of socialism. And those who could escape, those who had the physical strength to escape did and left on the plantation were the very rich master planners and those who were too unable to escape it. 
And that's what you're finding now in, in the cities, as New York City, but we're talking California at the moment, all through the state of California. More and more, as the middle class flees, there's almost nothing left to be eaten except themselves. And now, therefore, themselves are voting themselves out. <laughs> How about that? A rejection of oneself. <laughs> it, is, it, is, um, it is remarkable. Uh, the Georgia uh, thing. I, I'm sure you have some humor on this as well. But I was in a restaurant uh, a couple of days ago, and <clears throat> uh, a guy was trying to be a comedian. I don't think he succeeded. He wasn't nearly as funny as you would be. But uh, on the back of his card, it said CID. And so the you know the waiter asked, "Can I please see your ID?" And he says, "Oh my God, that's racist! You can't ask me for my ID." And the waiter didn't know what to make right away. And then he realized, "Oh, you're just joking me. Okay, let me see your ID, pal." And uh, but. All that's going on in Georgia right now, the idea that um, uh, this is somehow a new form of Jim Crow because we're going to ask people to show their IDs to verify who they are. What's your take on the whole the discussion of election integrity and, and the efforts in Georgia? What does it really mean in America? Right. Well, to, twofold. First of all, I, I actually, perhaps the guy's attitude in the restaurant uh, did not serve him well. <laughs> but I do, but I do, but I do think the line works yeah. well. I, I, I find that when I'm online, and this is something that people can do all the time, when, when I when I'm online at the post office and it's just taking forever, I turn to the person next to me and I say, "Just imagine when they control your health care." Right. You know, just just drop <laughs> these these little snide comments right. that. that it does it does a number of things one it plants a seed in the other person that over time may grow but the other person may very well already agree with you but not speak up because he thinks he's all alone so so one of the good things about speaking up is not only to convince the other but i'm a big fan of of preaching to the choir you know i have, I have an expression just because they know the tune doesn't mean they understand the gospel and and so I, I speak to groups that are already on our side, and I speak to those who, who are in opposition. Just keep speaking up. As, as far as what's happening in Atlanta, it's, you know, I, I, I'm going to paraphrase Ayn Rand. She said, there are no coincidences. And I'm going to say that there are, there are no hypocrites. If you think <laughs> you found a hypocrite, you've got to question the predicate. Uh -huh. All right? And, and, if you really believe that they care about IDs, then it's hypocritical that Major League Baseball that demands that you show your ID before they'll hand you over your ticket right. is, is removing the All-Star game. But if you recognize that part of the reason is to undermine the black community, Atlanta is, if not majority black, then, then awfully close. Yeah. And, and, they, and they moved it to Colorado, which is very, very white. And, and I'm convinced the reason they did that was to undermine the black businesses that would have profited. Because one thing, you know, it's another Solinsky rule. It's up to us to go in and rub raw the, the sores of discontent. Well, before they can make Americans discontent, uh, before they can rub raw the sores of discontent, they have to first make Americans discontent. And, and thus, if they can undermine black businesses, I believe this is why they falsely report things like the Michael Brown story to incite riots. I believe that they have come to recognize that the Democratic Party and the woke movement benefits from the suffering of black people.
It's amazing the numbers. I think it was Alfredo Ortiz at the Job Creators Network. $100 million of lost business for African-American communities in Atlanta because of MLB's decision. Remarkable, remarkable. If you're trying to help the African-American community, they just punished them in a much bigger way. And by the way, in the aftermath of a, of a COVID pandemic, which I put enough hurt on the community. And and if you care about poor people or you know, lower income people, the idea that, that the peanut vendor in Atlanta is not going to have a job yeah. after being out of work, after being out of work for a year, right? they're going to take this away from him. The, the whole thing, you, if you believe that they care about blacks, if you believe they care about poor people, then this seems beyond hypocritical. It, 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 it seems insane. Yeah. But once you change the... Well, but once you change your understanding of it, it, it's not hypocritical in the slightest. It all falls into the same pattern. You know, Alinsky laid out the, 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 the battle plan, and they've been following it since the radicals joined with the, Democrat, with the Democratic Party back in the 1960s. Yeah, oh, it's a remarkable thing. And people have to study history to understand how we got to this moment in, in, Americans, in, in the American experience. Well, I, I've got... John, I'm sorry, I got a better idea. Forget yeah. read, read my book. Yeah, there just, you just go. You don't have to read history. <laughs> <laughs> just, we, we should read that book. That's right. I have The Woke Supremacy and Anti Socialist Manifesto. Great book. And uh, it, listen, it's going to challenge you to think. You're going to, uh, you can't read this book and just get away with a light read. They, Evan really challenges you to realize and to look at this current cancel culture in a much larger historical vein. And uh, I think you've done your country a great service, Evan, by, by helping us understand and looking at it at the, uh, at the extremes of what's going on today. What's next for you? You're always doing fun stuff. Uh, before we head out to commercial break, I always like to ask you, what, what's next for Evan? Say it. You, you always make us laugh. You always make us think. You got something up your sleeve? Well, I, I appreciate that. Well, mostly just promoting the book. You know, keep, keep in mind that for the last year, I have been in the single least in demand profession Right. In, yes. in public, public speaker during a pandemic. pandemic. Yeah, that really um, helps. <laughs> <laughs> so, so right now I'm promoting my book. Fortunately, there, there are places opening up for me to speak. Uh, forgive me for doing this, but a, a plug of myself. Sure. But if they go to Evans, if they go to evansayit.com, they can not only find the famous Heritage Foundation speech. They can not only find links to both of my books, uh, but they can also write to me. And if they have a speaking engagement, uh, I'm very reasonable these days. How about that? Being very reasonable is a rare thing in America these days. There's so few people who are very reasonable. So, well, Evan, uh, thank you for spending so much time with us. I know our audience loved it. Uh, folks, if you want to get the book, it is a, uh, a must read, The Woke Supremacy and Anti-Socialist Manifesto. It is a great read and it will challenge you to think a bigger, broader. And I think one of the things that Evan said that really resonated with me is if you want to fight this, you have to speak up. Being silent, cordial, quiet doesn't win this sort of a battle. And so, Evan, thanks again for, for the time today, and good luck with this book. Thanks, John. Always good talking with you. You as well. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up for the day. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. So grateful you joined us. Um, what Evan Sayat had to say, Evan Sayat had to say was not necessarily comfortable to hear. It is thought-provoking, but it is a challenge to all of us to realize that what's going on is not a political disagreement. It is an effort to suffocate the various thoughts, values, speech of people who don't agree with the, a neoliberalism, neo-leftist movement that is sweeping across parts of our country. Uh, fortunately, there are lots of people, Evan among them, who aren't going to stay silent, who are not going to allow their voices to be silenced. Uh, if they do, we're no better than what Vladimir Putin is doing to his uh, primary rival, Navalny, in Russia, stamping him out, using the power of the state, using the power of censorship, using the power of hatred to uh, stop somebody who just disagrees with you. That is not America, but that is the debate we are in. And uh, I think Evan really captured that today. I hope you enjoyed that. We're going to be back next week. We should have some new Hunter Biden exclusives. We're working on some new voter integrity documents. We won some FOIA lawsuits. Stay tuned Monday, Tuesday. I think we're going to have some news. Uh, we're going to get back to breaking some big stories again next week, like we had this week. Try to create impactful journalism for you. But until then, enjoy your family. Get some rest. Enjoy the spring weather if you're blessed to have it in your neck of the woods. And thank you so much for listening to John Solomon Reports and reading just the news, watching us on Real America's Voice on our television shows, the great Sophie Mann, the one and only David Brody and his water cooler. I love that show. Uh, we're so grateful that you are watching, listening, reading, supporting us, and also supporting the great advertisers, the great um, uh, sponsors that get behind this show, get behind our website, stand firm with them, support and buy their services and products because when you do, you're supporting us, and we're grateful for that. All right, it's weekend time. Pop out the bear, get the steaks going on the grill, probably Kansas City steaks, I hope, and get ready on your weekend. We'll be back on Monday with a whole new edition of John Solomon Reports. And, of course, all weekend long, we got you covered on the news at justthenews.com. God bless you, and God bless this great country of America, as he always has. Talk to you on Monday. <laughs>